0: I'm going to turn your attention this morning to the book of John and in John chapter six, uh, this is just something that I've been wrestling with. And my wife uh, usually panics when I say that I'm going to preach thoughts that are not fully developed yet. Uh, She kind of sits in the front row and gives me that look of panic when I start into this, but I have to say, this hasn't all come together yet in my thinking, but in John chapter six, uh, I'm going to start in John chapter six verse fourteen, but before we get to that, just kind of the context of what's going on uh, in John's narrative. And I'm I'm talking to professors, you know, this these passages of scripture. We we know that in John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Christ at night, just one person, very quietly, trying to understand the coming Messiah. And uh, then by John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well with a woman who is transformed. And then she goes into town and gets all of the city and brings them back and to meet him. And then by John chapter 5, uh, Christ performs the healing at the well or at the pool in Jerusalem. and And hundreds and hundreds of people experience that and then you get to John chapter 6 and there's the feeding of the 5000 and it seems like with each chapter the the crowd just is beginning to grow and there's this uh there's this drumbeat moving forward as the intensity of what's taking place uh just increases and by the time we get to John chapter 6 uh the intensity of the crowd has just increased and they've just witnessed him multiplying the bread and fish, and and the crowd was fed, all 5,000 of them. And then in John chapter 6, verse 14, we read this passage. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing what they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself to a mountain. Verse 16, when evening came as disciples went out by the lake, they got into a boat and set off across the lake. Uh, then we see it's dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Strong winds are blowing. The water grew rough. And when they would rowed about three to four miles, they saw Jesus approaching on the boat. I think it's interesting that uh, the people of Israel were falling into the same trap that their ancestors had fallen into. And and they were a people who were under oppression and occupation. And it's kind of easy for us to understand their misunderstanding. Uh, We know the prophecies of the Old Testament were saying this uh, two-sided, two sides of the coin, the coming king and reigning king and, and the suffering servant on the other hand. And and they saw this reigning king in Jesus and they, they decided that they were going to make him king by force. And uh, we know what happens when Israel makes kings. Uh, it, it seems like uh, they wanted to be like all the other countries. They wanted to be free. They wanted to have their nation back. And so they decided that they were going to make Jesus the earthly king to resolve all their problems and all of their suffering. And they wanted to revert back to their former glory. So they're falling into that same trap of looking for a king. And uh, we know from Saul and David and Solomon that earthly kings had their problems, you know, one was nuts and threw swords and spears at servants, and David had an affair, and uh, King Solomon became greedy and accumulated wealth and all the problems that took place, and there's this phrase that kind of speaks to me that I've read recently, earthly kings are humanity's earthly answers to spiritual problems and it seems like we we look for kings to solve our problems we look for leadership top down political leadership and social structures that will provide peace in the land and the fact of the matter is we don't we don't we can't find perfect peace in our society through that top down management we need christ to come as the as the suffering servant. And we do the same thing today. And uh, you can look around our societal arguments on Facebook and social media today. We've got blue team and red team arguing and whining over who's going to be in control. And and everybody's claiming that their team leader is going to be a better team leader. And if if we could just have the right king, we could solve all of our problems in America. And uh the fact of the matter is i kind of come back to that essence of understanding that we don't need another king we need a redeemer and we need the redeemer to come and resolve from the grassroots up rather than from the top down the challenges and problems of our society and so jesus understood what they were thinking they were they were trying to answer their problem of oppression by getting another king that would solve their uh problems of the day. And, and he understood what they were thinking. You ever think that you can hide something from Jesus? Yeah, he he already knew what they were thinking in, in all of this. And and I think um this falls into one of those pastoral pet peeves of mine, and I'm I'm trying to put that together. The pastoral pet peeve is that I'm I'm struck by how many boards I go to and leadership teams and organizational teams, college teams, committees. uh, We'll work through everything and we'll get to the end of the meeting and somebody will be asked to pray. And then in the prayer, they'll ask God to come and bless what they've already done. And and it's like the cart before the horse. We, We say, Lord, now that we've made all these decisions, we want you to come and bless what we've decided because it's almost the vending machine mentality. You put your quarter in and, a blessing comes out, and so now come and fix the problems. And here in verses sixteen and seventeen, uh, we kind of get the the feeling that it's probably one of the most difficult phrases. And I want to get back to that verse here. Verse sixteen: When evening came, the disciples went down to the lake, and they're getting ready to get into the boat and take off for the other side of of the lake and And here in uh, the latter part of that, they got into the boat, but by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. And yet they're going on after the goal and the target of where they were headed, but Jesus isn't with them. And it kind of sits in my mind that this tipping point had taken place. And they got caught up in the mission, they got caught up in the priorities, and they got caught up in the hoopla of it all, and they forgot, and they looked around, and and Jesus wasn't even with them. And I started thinking about how easily we could fall into that trap in ministry, where we look around and Jesus isn't in it. We go to our seminars, we have our action plans, we've got our five-year goals, we've gone to the SWOT analysis route. we put it all before us. We go to church boards and we look at our balance sheet or our profit and loss statement. Uh, We have our progress report on the operating budget, and we maybe even do a facility review and see what our assets are. And then we look around at our our market trends. We do our church. We, We do church pretty good. You know, we go around to our different churches and we recognize that we can have our songs and our agendas and then we get down to the end of the service and have our grandkids sing a song uh, the special number of the day, and we can look around and Jesus isn't in it. Jesus isn't in the boat with us. One of my, um, if we talk about spiritual formation, for me, one of my spiritual formation milestones was the revival of Mount Vernon in 1980. Uh, A young very energetic evangelist named Stephen Manley came. Anybody heard of him? Uh, Stephen Manley came, and I was a a student at Mount uh, Vernon starting my sophomore year, and Stephen Manley comes in, and he's telling the story in Hebrews of Abraham and Sarah, and he gets to that point in the Hebrews telling of it, and he said, and Abraham waited patiently. And then he started laughing and it was almost like he waited patiently, but maybe he didn't wait so patiently. He, he ended up, we all know the story. He ended up uh, having a child by his handmaiden, his wife's handmaiden in order to try to further the family line and to fulfill the mission that God had already stated that he would be the father of nations. And in a way that only uh, Stephen Manley can say things, it it was almost as if Abraham had the will of God as his God and not the God whose will it was. And we put our focus so on the mission that we get caught up in the mission and we get caught up on the priorities and getting through the day and working through our budgets and our agendas And we look around and Jesus isn't even in it. And Stephen Manley's phrase, Abraham had the will of God as his God and not the God whose will it was. And that little phrase is written in my Bible that I carried with me to that revival. And it, it still speaks to me today that I can get caught up in doing things for God and forget to have God in the midst of what I'm doing. And I, I want to just point out as a part of this that I think uh, not just for you, but for me as well. Every day I, I, I want to wake up and say, Lord, if you're not going, I don't want to go. If you're not staying, I don't want to stay. Let me focus not just the goal of where you're, you're leading me, but every step in how I get to that goal has to be rooted and grounded in your presence and in your spirit's guidance and and in your leadership for my life so that I don't get caught up in the glory of the goal and miss the God whose goal it is. One of the things, and I I don't know, maybe I'm reading more into this. Uh, Go ahead, all you theologians who teach theology. I don't teach theology. I'm a glorified middle management person today as a DS. Uh, you know I I work for HR uh, we put pastors in places of leadership and we read resumes all day but there's something in that passage that kind of took my attention was that the disciples were in the boat rowing and and they're rowing and they're they're trying to move it they're rowing a sailboat Has anybody ever thought about that that they're rowing a sailboat? And to me, rowing a boat means that you're using your own strength and your own power to propel rather than using a sail that allows the wind to blow and move the boat forward. And and I don't know enough about boats to know that I, that might even not be important, but at the same time, to me, I want to be the kind of person that allows the Holy Spirit to be moving the boat forward instead of me rowing in all my strength and all my weaknesses. Allow God to make the movement go forward. And the scriptures tell us in that last couple of verses, and when Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, it's me, I'm here, don't be afraid, they were willing to take him into the boat in verse 21, and immediately the boat reached their destination. Isn't it interesting that we fight, we work, and we strive, and we have our plans and all of our action plans and all of our budgets set before us, and then Jesus enters into the picture, and suddenly we're already doing things that we never imagined possible. I just want to say that um, I've been a part of Nazarene Higher Education in these boards for many years now, uh, as. Uh, Scott shared with you, I've been on the Mount Vernon board for 23 years and this board for 10 years, and I've seen all the efforts that we've made for the kingdom. But if it was just us doing it, if it was our own efforts, we would still be out there rowing. I can't imagine taking another step of our ministry forward without saying, Lord, we need you in the midst of this. And Put my opinion of how to get there aside, I appreciate knowing the goal as Abraham to be the father of nations, but I can't even make the next step without your Holy Spirit's presence and power, empowering me to know where I go from here. I've had uh, three board meetings in the past three days. Uh, We are looking for pastors. I can't Place another pastor or hold another interview without the Spirit of God being present. I can't look at a home missions board meeting that's coming up uh, tomorrow evening without knowing what God's direction is. And I just sense that everything that we do is a part of our mission and ministry at NBC, at the district offices, at, in church services, in our local boards. If we're not seeking God's presence, in his direction, then we're getting ahead of him, and we might as well be uh, trying to plan and scheme about how to make Jesus king of our earthly domain without his even being a part of the decision. So this morning, as I uh, morning in your part of the world, I, I pray for you. I just pray that every decision Nazarene Bible College makes in the days ahead will be based upon The Spirit's leading God's holy presence. And I pray we don't row too hard before recognizing that God's presence is there to propel things forward. And once He's in the boat, we might see ourselves achieving the goals that have been set before us through Christ's presence and His Word uh, far, far more quickly and far more adequately than we ever could. And so we just put it into His hands this morning.